Chapter thirty one of the Frozen Pirate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barbara Dirksen. The Frozen Pirate by W. Clark Russell. Chapter thirty one. The End. I should require to write to the length of this book over again, to do full justice by description, to the difficulties and anxieties of the days that now followed. If it had not been thick weather all the time, I do not know how I should have fared, I am sure. I was between two fires, so to say. On the one side the French cruisers and privateers, and on the other side the ships of my own country— and particularly the revenue-cutters and the sloops and the like cruising after the smugglers as i knew that my relative could not be with me under four days i steered out of sight of land into the middle of the channel betwixt beachy head and the cn coast and there dodged about under very small canvas heartily grateful for the haze that shrouded the sea to within a mile of me I scarcely closed my eyes in sleep, and though my worries were now of a very different kind from those which had racked me on the ice, they were, in their way, to the full as tormenting. Every sail that loomed in the dinginess filled me with alarm. Several ships passed me close, and I could scarce breathe till they were out of sight. Indeed, I lay skulking out upon that sea as if I was some common thief broken loose from jail. However, it pleased heaven that I should manage to keep out of sight of those whom I most strenuously desired not to see, and the afternoon of the fourth day found the Boca lying off Beachy Head, and I peering over the rail with a haggard face at the dark shadow of the land. It had been blowing and snowing all day. The seas ran short and spitefully. It was a dismal December afternoon, and the more sensibly disgusting to us who were fresh from several weeks of the balm and glory of the tropics, and yet I would not have exchanged it for a clear fine day for all that I was like to be worth. It was the most reasonable thing in the world that a vessel should be hove to in such sombre weather, and so I was under no concern that our posture in this respect would excite suspicion should we be descried the hours stole away one by one now and again a little coaster would pass some hoy bound west a sloop for the thames a lugger on some unguessable mission all small ships oozing dark and damp out of the snow and mist and passing silently i kept the land close aboard to be out of the way of the bigger craft and held the vessel in the wind till it was necessary to reach to our station the three of us were mighty pensive and eager staring incessantly with all our eyes but it looked as if we were not to expect anything that day when the night put its darkness into the weather then as i foresaw a serious danger if the wind shifted into the south and as i could not obtain a glimpse of a shore light i resolved to bring up and ride till dawn long ago we got the schooner's old anchors at the catheads and the cables bent so lowering the mainsail and hauling down the stay foresail we let fall the starboard anchor and the ship came to a stand 
I put the lead over the side that we might know if she dragged, hung a lantern on the forestay, and one on either quarter that our presence might be marked by my relative should he be out in quest of us, and went below, leaving Cromwell to keep the lookout. I was extremely fretful and anxious, and had no patience to talk with Billy Pitt. There were too many risks, too many vague chances in this exploit to render contemplation of it tolerable. Suppose my relative should be dead. Suppose Wilkinson should be robbed of his money. Fall to the cutting of capers, as a sailor newly delivered to the pleasures of the land with ten guineas in his pocket. Get locked up for breaking the peace. Blab of us in his cups and start the customs on our trail. There was no end to such conjectures and I made myself so melancholy that I was fool enough to think that the treasure was no better than a curse, and that on the whole I was better off on the ice than here with the anchor in English ground and my native soil within gunshot. I was up and about till midnight, and then, being in the cabin and exhausted, I fell asleep across the table, and in that posture lay as one dead." Someone dragging at my arm with very little tenderness awoke me. I was in the midst of a dream of the schooner, having been boarded by a party of French privateersmen, with Tassard at their head, and the roughness with which I was aroused was exactly calculated to extend into my waking the horror and grief of my sleep. I instantly sprang to my feet and saw Washington Cromwell. Massa Rodney, he bawled, Massa Rodney, de gents long side, him and Wilkinson, yes, by de good lord, dey's both dare, dey hail me and I answer, and say, who are you, and dey say, are you de Boca, well, I am, I say, and dey say, I had stood stupidly staring at him, but my full understanding coming to me on a sudden, I jumped to the ladder and darted on deck. I heard voices over the starboard side and ran there. It was not so dark but that I could see the outline of a deal lugger. Whilst I was peering, the voice of my man Wilkinson cried out, On deck there, Cromwell, Billy, where's Mr. Rodney? Here I am, cried I. My God, Paul, exclaimed the voice of Mr. Mason, this encounter is fortunate indeed. I shouted to the negroes to show a light, and in a few minutes Mr. Mason, Wilkinson, and a couple of deal boatmen came over the side. I grasped my relative by both hands. I had not seen him for four years. "'This is good of you indeed,' I cried. "'But you must be perished with the cold of that open boat. Come below at once. Come, Wilkinson, and you, man, there is a fire in the cook-room and a drink to warm us.' and down I bundled in the wildest condition of excitement, followed by Mason and the others. My relative was warmly clad, and did not seem to suffer from the cold. He took me by the hand and brought me to the lanthorn light, and stood viewing me. "'Eh,' said he, "'you are your old self. A bit worried-looking, but that'll pass. Stout and burnt. Odd's heart!' Paul, if you have passed through the experiences Wilkinson has given me a sketch of, we must have your life, man, we must have your life, for the booksellers. Well, I need not detain you by reciting all the civilities and congratulations which he and I exchanged. 
he and wilkinson had arrived at deal at three o'clock that afternoon and after a hurried meal had hired a lugger and started at once for beachy head it was now three o'clock in the morning and what i may consider a truly extraordinary circumstance is that they had sailed as true a course for the schooner as if she had lain plain to the gaze at the very start that since the night had drawn down they had met no vessel of any kind or description until they came up to us that in all probability they would have run stem on into us if they had not seen our lights and that their seeing our lights had caused them to hail us their ship ahoy being instantly answered by cromwell well said i there are stranger things to tell of than this even now wilkinson and you billy and cromwell get us a good supper and mix a proper bowl how many more of you are in the lugger four sir says one of the boatmen then fetch as many as may safely leave the boat said i billy get candles and make a good light here throw on coal boys there's enough to carry us home i saw mason gazing curiously about him tis like a tale out of the arabian nights paul he exclaimed eh said i but written in better prose and no hint of enchantment anywhere but thank god you are come i have passed a dismal time of expectation i promise you i added softly i have something secret we will sup first man i shall amaze you we must talk apart presently he bowed his head three more boatmen arrived giving us the company of five of them soon there was a hearty sound of frying and a smell of good things upon the air pitt put plates and glasses upon the cabin table two great bowls of punch were brewed and in a little time we had all fallen too i whispered wilkinson who sat next to me these boatmen know nothing of our business i shall have to take mr mason apart and arrange with him these fellows may not be fit for our service let no hint escape you right sir said he this i said to disarm his suspicions should he see me talking alone with mr mason he entertained us with an account of his excursion to london and then partly to appease the profound curiosity of the boatmen and partly to save time when i should come to confer with my relative i gave them the story of my shipwreck and told how i had met with the schooner and how i had managed to escape with her and now mason said i whilst our friends here empty these bowls come you with me to the cook-room and with that we quitted the cabin do you mean to tell me paul was the first question my relative asked that this vessel was on the ice eight and 